Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a shaman columnist. He's also a lore aficionado. Two, two great things in one, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. I learned that it's not pronounced Magatha. It's Magatha. Magatha? Thanks, Thanks, Blizzard. Really? Yeah, that that is how they pronounce it in the game. After after our last discussion, uh, I went and did all the questing and everything like that, and she calls herself Magatha. Magatha. Not Magatha. Magatha. Yeah. I think everybody's been calling her Magatha for years. Oh, yeah. Years. I'm wondering if that's like a voice. It's it's Agatha. It's Agatha with an M in the front of it. Of course, we call her Magatha. Yeah. Yeah. So we call her Magatha. But now you've all learned something today, both of you and our listeners at home. So yeah, you can say today is a good day. Okay. The more you know. Speaking of which, we've got our other second lore-focused writer from Blizzard Watch with us today, and that would be Matt Rossi, who knows a lot. Hey, Rossi. Hello. I I found out that they gave Darius Crowley a new voice actor. Did they? If you do the uh, broken short thing to get Darius as your follower, if you're an Alliance warrior, when you get him, he's got a new voice actor. I don't know if they retroactively went back and replaced his old, the old actor on the Gilneas stuff, but he's got a new one on the Broken Shore. Does he sound better or worse? Because I liked his old VA very much. Yeah, but his old VA sort of sounded hoarse. A little. You know what I mean? And yeah. this guy doesn't. This guy's very much just, you know, oh, let's murder everything. Okay. He's a, it's a, I don't know if it's better or worse. It's definitely different. It took me off guard. Um, I am going to have to go look this up then because, yeah, I liked Crowley. He was one of my favorites. What's really interesting about this quest, too, is um, it it's really strange. <laughs> I don't we're not going to talk about this week, but it, at some point I want to talk about these follower quests because it's it's bizarre. Um, I really want to talk about the follower quests, too, because I got a lot of weird stuff to talk about for mine as well. 
Yeah, but for now, it's... mine really wasn't that weird. <laughs> yeah, mine's pretty strange. It's it's up there. I don't know if it's as strange as having a Magatha show up, but it was pretty bizarre. I haven't done a Horde one yet. I just got a, a Horde. I have two Horde Warriors at 100. I haven't leveled either them to 110 yet. And mine... I should probably do that just so I can see what Atreg is all about. Yeah, mine, I went and found Lillian Voss, and she's part of my crew now. Um, but there was like, I don't know. It just, it didn't really feel like there was, it wasn't too out there. Oh my gosh, huh? What's going on? Or anything like that. Except that she didn't mention anything about what went down in Stratholm. And I didn't think that she was a rogue, but I guess she is. So, well, I mean, she did backstab in Stratholm. Like, she was just like, hi, stab in the back. So, I mean, she did, but at the same time, when she was a Scarlet Crusade person, obviously she was like a paladin or whatever. Anyway, we're getting off track here. So, that's not what we're here to talk about this time around. What we're here to talk about this time around is that the latest leg of the story quest for Out There on the Broken Shores has been released. And if you're a Horde player, you miss it entirely. If you're an Alliance player, you get a lot. And um, the reason for that is that the the story part, the story-heavy part of this particular quest chain involves Anduin Wren. And Anduin finally, you know, getting to do something about the fact that his father died, which is one of those things that I've been kind of low-key waiting on since it happened. I mean, you didn't see anything. You didn't see anything reflected in-game about Anduin, like Anduin's reactions or what he's thinking about or anything like that. Um, this time around you do and, and you take a little journey and at the end of that journey there's a cinematic that plays and it's a very good cinematic. Um, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But I kind of want to talk about Anduin in general because here's this kid and he's not a kid anymore. He's every bit as adult as his father was when he took the throne way back when but actually he's older isn't he no varian was 18 and when i think is 17 18 somewhere in there um he's only 18 at this point i thought he was older and when i thought he was at least 20 no no he is i want to say he's like 17 18 i think he's that kid has taken a very long time to get there he's taken a very long time to get there yes but but canonically He's like, I want to say he's 17 going on 18, or he just turned 18. I don't remember which. I know that Varian was crowned when he when he was 18. When he turned 18, he became king. So it's pretty much, we're dealing with the same age range here, but we're dealing with two vastly, vastly, vastly different people, which is weird because it's father and son. Um, Anduin's life started out really weird and it started out a lot differently than Varian's did because Varian was born to a pair of parents who loved him to bits and raised him and everything kind of fell apart when the orcs came through the dark portal Um, and Varian was cognizant and saw everything that went down when the orcs came through the dark portal Varian saw his father murdered right in front of him when he was just a young boy right before they fled Stormwind because the orcs won basically the orcs won at the end of the first war so in contrast Anduin was just a baby when the riots hit in Stormwind and his mother was killed and Varian was left with a baby and no wife and Varian slipped into a depression and basically let other people raise his son 
which is, I mean, you know, you give your kid over to the nanny or whatever if mom is not there, I guess. I don't know. But Varian kind of went into this whole dark funk thing where he didn't even really acknowledge anything going on for the longest time. So Antwin, Antwin's life, like as a child, was kind of isolated, wouldn't you say? I, I mean, if I'd say isolated, I'd say crappy. Yeah, I mean, yeah isolated. Died, you know, isolated, I think, is the wrong word. Yeah. I think, you know, basically we, we know that Bolvar took an interest in him. Yeah. And, you know, was there kind of as a surrogate father when both... I shouldn't say isolated. I should say removed from that whole father figure. Like, Varian wasn't really a presence when he was really little. It's kind of weird because both Varian and Anduin have the experience of growing up with people who aren't their actual father doing the job. Like, you know, Varian grew up with Anduin Lothar doing it and then Terranus to some degree. And, uh, you know, Anduin grew up with, with Bolvar doing it. Bolvar stepped in and basically said, you know, okay, uh, here's what you need to, to, to be a king. And even before Varian vanished, you know, Bolvar was kind of doing that job. And, and Varian acknowledged this. Like, when, when, when Bolvar died, Varian was like, you know, this man was there for my son when I wasn't. So there's, uh, there's that. It's, they have that in common. They, they kind of have the same ideal of... I don't know. The way to look, I look at it is that Anduin basically went the opposite direction from Varian, that Varian learned that he had to be, he wasn't going to ever be a king who got to rule just in a throne room and be a diplomat. That wasn't Varian's upbringing. Varian grew up during the second war. Like, you know, he, he went from a 10 year old who'd lived an idyllic life to, you know, growing up through the second war. And by the time he sat on his throne, Stormwind had been destroyed. The hordes had been pushed back he'd had to like make decisions like, you know, at 18, he's having to make decisions. Should we wipe out this entire race of people or should we keep them in camps? Should we build a fortress down in, in uh, the, the blasted lands at the blasted lands? Oh God. I can't remember the broken. Wh- which one is the one with the uh, dark portals at the blasted lands? Yeah. That's blasted lands. Yep. Blasted yeah. Lands. So Another guard had to, you know, he had to decide with an, on that one. He had to face off against Gen and, uh, you know, d- you know, Thoras Trollbane. Like both of them were, it, it's we don't remember this. Young Varian, like Varian at eighteen, had to sit there and tell Gen Greymane, "No, we're not doing this. We're doing, we're going with Terranus's plan. I back him." And keep and, in mind, though, that you know, as far as Azeroth is concerned, if you're eighteen, you're an adult. Yeah, you're but pretty it's still, much capable of making decisions. That kind of thing. Still, you're you still know, young, just, yes, but you're you're considered an adult by all. Yeah, but all I'm saying is that you know he he basically. They both had a similar situation where they hit the th- the ground running, so to speak, where they they're thrown in. Like you know, by the way, you're king. Uh, here you go. But Anduin I, basically has always been much more of a diplomat. He's been he's a I don't want to say a people person, but he's better at dealing with people than his father was. It, it's almost like whether whether definitely analogous uh, as far as like the events that formed their well, formative years, I guess the, the, that they lived through. They definitely have a, a bunch of tragedy. It it almost seems though like Varian had to deal with defeat and what that what came with that more than Anduin did. And I think that I want to like, say... shaped shaped the perception because Anduin's far more optimistic than than Varian ever was. I want to say that 
the the main difference between the two is that Varian was almost a product of the violence that he witnessed when he was a child, whereas Anduin, not isolated, but sheltered, I think, maybe is a better word. Anduin was kind of a little sheltered. He wasn't... You get the sense that even before Varian got kidnapped and all this other stuff went on, that Anduin was kind of kept under close watch, right? He wasn't exactly allowed to run around and do whatever, so, you get the sense that you get you definitely that's a point because you definitely get the sense that after Tiffin died, yeah, that in Varian's few moments of like you know well first off we're we're making it sound like he just went to a depression he didn't he was under mystical attack from a dragon uh that's that's what was happening to Varian at the time Onyxia was straight up trying to control him she was trying to control him but the fact that his wife died yeah didn't no, that's, help but, them out it made it easier for Onyxia to yeah. do what she was doing. But I'm just saying it wasn't just he was moping. It was, you know, s- serious stuff was going on. And it's, I remember I, I'm kind of using the comic book here and who knows anymore with that. But there's a point where he even says, you know, the few moments I had where I felt human again were when I was with my son. And I thought, right. you know, he reminded me of my wife. And, and eventually you, you, as you get the sense. Yeah. Varian very much was like, you stay in this box. And when Andrew got old box. enough, when Andrew got old enough and started talking to his father more and actually like being a little person instead of just a baby or whatever that's what kind of broke Varian out of that depression that he was in it was always Anduin but yeah I I, I feel like I'm sorry Rossi I interrupted you but the box yeah he's always had kind of had Anduin in that box and you you got that like we, we we've never really talked about the short story from Cataclysm no, but you should. Go ahead. The, well, there's the... When, when you go back to the Cataclysm... First off, when Wolfheart um, comes out... When, when Varian comes back, there's a whole Wolfheart thing about Varian... Wolfheart was so good. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I keep having to go back to, to context, but... To, to go try ahead to get and go back past. to wherever you need to go back to. Go for it. Um, if you start off when, when Varian comes back, during Wrath of Lich King, Varian takes the throne. He's not stable. Like, he's been through a lot. He's been taken apart and had, like, his memory erased... And found himself as two people and eventually jammed back together. And even his swords get jammed into one thing. And they were two things before. And he's not put back together the way he was. Like he's, his, his dominant side is now the anger and pain he felt over everything he's gone through. Rather than before, the, before all this stuff happened, Varian was glib. Varian was good with people. Varian was a lot more like Anduin back then than he, is, than he was when he died. And he, it's it's interesting to watch his progression because he kind of fought through it. But when he comes back, he's he's kind of he's almost I don't want to say schizoid, but he's very very much a split person, and his anger is running him. He's to a lot more where, sullen and angry. Yeah, and to the point where like he's he's depicted at one point in Wolfhart. I'm pretty sure it's Wolfhart, if not a short story. Right? Where he actually hits Anduin, which is unthinkable to to Varian before. I think that was Wolfhart. I don't think that yeah. was... No, I think that was... He didn't hit Anduin. He grabbed Anduin's arm, and he actually hurt him. Yeah. Like, he hurt him. And that was the point where Anduin said, yeah, no, I'm going to go study with Val and see a pops. Yeah. And, and that was and in Wolfhart. Varian's out-of-control anger basically caused him to um, injure his son. And he, you know, this is not something... The Anduin, you know, Varian of the past would never have done this. Like, Anduin was, like, precious to him. And so when he did this, he oh, and Varian a... was immediately horrified yeah. too. Yeah, and we we see to a degree this is why Varian and Gen became close because Varian and Gen were not close. Varian did not like Gen. Varian remembered what Gen was like, and he blamed him for taking the the Gilneans and just hiding behind a wall. 
He was very much like, a, no, I remember you. You and I had words and you were a jerk and I'm angry. When the and night it, elves it, came together and they had like this whole council thing to see whether the worgen should be allowed to join the alliance, Varian was the strongest dissenting voice in Wolfheart. He straight up does not want them around. He's like, mm-hmm. what do we need them for? They didn't, they didn't want to help us when we needed them. Well, I don't see any reason why I should extend myself to them. And it, it, through that whole thing, it's Gen is partially responsible for Varian being able to rebuild his relationship with his son. Because Gen said to him, like, look, we know what you're feeling. You know, we understand this. You may not have it physically. You may not actually be turning into a wolf monster. But trust me, what you, the fact that they call you Lagosh does not is not a coincidence here. We can help you. And they sort of came, they became friends through that. And Anduin is very much like a lot of the stuff Varian has done, like did up till his death. A lot of the stuff he did to try to repair his life and become a better king is through actually it's actually through trying to be a better person for his son. And it's interesting because you don't get to see that a lot in, in fiction where like a, a father character learns from their child. And that's definitely the relationship that they had. Like where Varian, Varian was teaching Anduin things. He wasn't just learning from his son. It wasn't just his son being a wonderkind and Varian always learning from him. But he definitely was learning from him. And I think that the, the moments that really stick out are the, what we just talked about in Cataclysm, the short story where Anduin basically – his father is still kind of boiling over. Like he's, he's managed to reintegrate himself. He's, he's one person, but he's an angry person. And, and Anduin is despairing of ever being able to reach him and say, Hey dad, you, you can't, you know, there's a scene in the throne room where uh, somebody says something cutting and, and Varian's like, really? And it looks like violence is going to happen. And everyone's like, I think Jane is like, Oh God. Yeah. Everyone dial it back. And, uh, when when Varian dies in that short story, it's basically they're under attack by the by the you know Twilight. It's a Twilight cult, right? Twilight cult, yeah. Twilight cult's attacking. Uh, it's the, you know the Twilight Father in you know it's Benedictus, but we we never actually see that in the short story. But Benedictus is trying to have Anduin, trying to have Varian killed, and probably Anduin too. But he's going for Varian, and Anduin basically from the brink of death pulls him back, casts a red spell on him. They don't actually say that, but that's what it is. And there's a they finally manage to bridge, you know. Varian basically says, "You don't, you know, if, when I if I lose you, I lose the last bit of her. I lose the last bit of when my life was good, you know." And Aaron Andrew's response is basically, "You know, I can't just stay here and never do anything. How? What kind of king will I be? What kind of man will I be if I never go anywhere or do anything?" And that's the constant push pull between the two characters. And you see it again in Mists. Like that's the whole thing about Mists, right? Mist is very much a push-pull, and it's Anduin trying to kind of establish his independence a little bit, I think, honestly. Um, Joe, I want you to step in here because you haven't really said anything. <laughs> well, honestly, like one of the things that I always loved about the two of them off each other is that Anduin represented, in a lot of ways, Varian's humanity. Like, and we, we talked about that a little bit here, but it was always that, that the thing where, where Logosh took over and Varian was ready to... to go and murder things or deal with things with such an aggressive nature, because that's all he has known in his, like his adult life is aggression, conflict, strife. He hasn't really known peace except inside of his family. So that's what Anduin represents is that, that peace, that hope, that, that humanity, that thing that this is what I'm actually fighting for. And I loved, I loved absolutely adored that transition in Varian. It actually, when Varian was first introduced, I hated him as a character. Like, I absolutely despised him. I thought he was incredibly one-dimensional and was absolutely terrible. But 
as the years went on and as they started really flushing out the story of, you know, how Anduin's dealing with him coming back, how he's dealing with becoming, you know, back to his back to the the king that he was supposed to be and, and everything else. And you start to see this transformation, um, even with the when we, we see the we're talking about cataclysm, the founding of the Council of Three Hammers again. When you have Varian going in there ready to murder everything if he has to because Ironforge has to be held by Alliance hands, and then it's like this the switch where it's like, you know what? No, you guys are going to do this instead. And it wasn't Varian that I was seeing there. That was that's something Anduin would have done. Like, that's something Anduin would have been like, you know what? This is actually useful to have all three of these sitting together and talking and you know, doing something collectively. I'm not going to actually murder them and just put it back to the way it used to be. We need to allow them to grow. And it was like, that was such an Anduin moment. I'm like, all right, okay, I see what's going on here. And it made stuff like that made me happy. Yeah, there's this interesting dichotomy going on between Anduin and Varian. And uh, Razi, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, where Anduin wasn't the only one that was like teaching things. Like he wasn't sitting there, you know, dictating to his father, oh, this is how you have to act or whatever. It was, it very much went two ways. And the way that it went was Varian tried to force his son to do something. Like he tried to teach his son how to do something. Like he, he tried to have Anduin undergo like military training so he could be a warrior and be all this other stuff. That's part of the reason why he went to Ironforge in the first place was to learn how to use weapons and be a warrior. And Anduin came back with yeah but i'm a priest (laughs) like there was a there was a back and forth there where it was like varian's trying to put anduin in this spot where he thinks that anduin should be and anduin keeps coming back in a different spot but a better person for it so it's not just anduin kind of learning how to be what's best for him it's also varian observing that and realizing that oh okay there are better ways to be here you don't you don't have to just be constantly in this position where you're defending yourself all the time. Maybe... Yeah, like I think the... No, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, at the end of Mists of Pandaria, the end of the Siege of Orgrimmar raid, it's a really good example of that. Because Anduin... It shows, for, for starters, that Anduin doesn't know everything that's going on. I'm no. sorry, that just my... It just... It shows that he doesn't... It's it's When you see what happens, Anduin thinks his father's going over there to kill you know, the troll, um, Vol'jin. He thinks he's going to go over and start something. Even Jaina thinks so at first. Like, Jaina's, do you must dismantle the Horde. And it looks like that's what Varian's going to do. He calls his guard up and struts over. And Andy was like, what are you doing? And he's like, what a king must do. And I'm bringing that up for a reason. I'll get to it in a second. Um, that's a good thing to bring up. <laughs> when, when he goes over there, he for, Strip says, we're not taking your crap anymore. But you fought him too. We're both here. I'm not going to make this an issue. I could make this an issue. I could take you out. Would cost me. It would cost me lives. It would cost me resources. But I could do it. I'm not going to. And that is for my people, not for you. You got you. You bought yourself a chance with me. I will give you that chance because my people or lives are more important. I'm paraphrasing, and you know, there's there's he says much less than this, but he said this is the point. But the he implication there, is there. Yeah. yeah. He goes over there and he basically says, all right, put in the best part is he, he takes a sword and jams it into the floor, which is not, this is not just putting down your sword. This is saying, shunk, I could you using this. I'm clearly strong enough. I'm strong enough to block that giant hammer with this thing. So I'm not coming to you because I'm weak and I need help. But nevertheless, you get a pass. 
because because you fought him too, I will extend myself that much. I will give you a chance here. And that's Varian's influence, but it's it's Anduin's influence, but it's Varian's interpretation of it. And that's the thing. Anduin wants to offer peace. Varian knows you can't always offer peace unless you're in a position to make war. Like, you know, the Horde can't just be openly trusted, but if you're strong enough that you know you can fight them, then you can basically say, all right, we'll try this again. Then you can start establishing that tentative kind of trust And when, at that point. Yeah, at well, that because point. at that point it doesn't matter, because if, they, if you're strong enough to fight them back and they, you know, do something that they're not supposed to, you can slap the hand, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah it makes but- sense. But it, it it goes back to what we see at, at the broken shore, which I think, you know, at this point we should start talking about the cinematic and stuff because... Let's talk it, about, it before much... we talk about that cinematic, let's talk about the variant that we saw in the moments before his death. Like when you were, when we first approached the broken shore at the beginning of Legion, he and Sylvanas were trading quips, like back and forth. Like there was kind <gasps> of an animosity there, but it was a jovial sort of thing. Like, and... When they were making that last stand, um, if you're a Horde player and you're going up the Horde side, you see Sylvanas and she's talking to Varian. And if you're on the Alliance side, you see Varian. And they're calling to each other over this ravine, right? And Sylvanas on the Horde side, after she says good luck or whatever, she actually salutes. She gives him a salute before you keep going up that hill. So there's a respect there. It's interesting because I honestly feel like we're not talking about Sylvanas this week. No, we aren't. Um, we will be talking about Sylvanas soon, Next but I time. will say this Next much. I, one of the things that's interesting about Sylvanas is the past couple of years have shown that Sylvanas is still evil. I'm not, she does horrible, evil things. But a lot of Sylvanas' motivations are twisted versions of who she was before. Right. And who she was before was the sister of one of the Alliance's greatest heroes, who, when they put up a statue to that to the said hero... It was Sylvanas who wrote the uh, the you know the, the the plaque for it. It was Sylvanas who wrote the you know this is you know the memorial to her sister, and that thing was right up front and center in Stormwind. It's when right you used there to come at the front gates, you yeah. walk through. It's right there. Used to I remember back in the day, I used to go through the gates of Stormwind, and that those statues were all there, and you could click on it, and there's the thing from Sylvanas, you know, saying you were the best of us to her sister, and it's like you you these are. It's interesting because we've gotten to the point where you've got somebody who a lot of their motivations, like, you know, a lot of Sylvanas' motivation is, you know, being utterly twisted and broken. Like okay, she is somebody. Who's, yeah, no, but what I'm getting at is with, with the war against the Legion, what it's done is make Anduin both more and less right. Because you, what you see there is somebody like Sylvanas and somebody like Varian who ordinarily could not find common ground. Well, they couldn't you, stand each other. You yeah. can find common ground when there's demons trying to destroy the world. And it's for me it's what it showed, for me what it showed that moment, what it showed right there with Varian was that he had moved on and he had progressed to a place where he knew where he stood and he wasn't afraid to stand there and he wasn't afraid to, you know, show his might or anything like that. It it was basically a progression of that that moment we saw at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar, the one that you were talking about, where he established, yeah, I'm a force to be reckoned with. I'm not going to beat you guys down, and I'm not doing it to be nice to you. I'm doing it, it because that's what my people need right now. 
and it's and, and, much more mature Varian at the end. And I, I hate to use the word mature because I mean he's he's old by that point. You know he's he's fully grown, Ben King for a long time and everything. But it is it's like a more mature kind of balanced Varian that we see at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar. There's, there's an old thing. I don't remember where it was originally stated. I got it from a Batman comic by Grant Morrison, but he has Batman say, your rage is born of fear and is unworthy of a master of the martial arts. Varian was afraid of a lot of things. He was afraid of losing his family. He was afraid of any more loss than he already had. He was afraid of letting his people down. The Varian at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar, the Varian that we see in Bits and Pieces and Warlords, and the Varian from the cinematic and you know the everything we saw in the beginning of Legion, that Varian wasn't afraid anymore. And that's why he wasn't angry anymore. Like He could still get angry, but his, when he got angry now, it was basically like, I have to help, I have to save my people. The way he died was, I have to save my people. And Anduin has, the biggest problem for Anduin is that he has, he has a lot to live up to, and not all of it good, but all of it huge. Like Even when Varian did something wrong, he did it big. Like, Varian wasn't the kind of guy who just messed up a little. Varian, Varian was a was a larger than life he figure. He wasn't. He wasn't you. known for being overly cautious, except no. in matters of his son. Yeah. <laughs> his son was the only thing he was really cautious about, and his way of being cautious with his son was to keep him close so nothing could get to him, hurt him, or potentially take him away. Like he had a chokehold on that kid for the longest time. And what did Joe Joe mentioned it? Joe mentioned the the Council of the Three Hammers. Yeah. And like uh, when he when he went into to or to, 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 to oh god I want to say Orgrimmar so bad and it's not it's Ironforge yeah when he went into Ironforge he was going to kill people oh yeah like oh yeah he the, they were SI messing 7, with his son they they SI were holding 7, his son prisoner <laughs> SI seven had to hold him back it's like yeah my elite group of of spies and and assassins they're here to slow me down because if they're not here I just kill the freaking lot of you and take Anduin and leave. And it's like, sir, they are an ally. You can't just murder everybody in your way. <laughs> sir, um, you might want to <laughs> dial it back a couple of notches. <laughs> yeah. Um, and once once he sees that Anduin is okay, then he's okay. It's not until that point. It's just Anduin, Anduin was, I think Anduin was kind of almost his weak spot in a way. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it, it's just interesting the dynamic between the two of them, it's been interesting watching that grow. And I and I felt really terrible when Varian died because it felt like Anduin wasn't at a spot where he was ready, you know? And that's reflected in this quest line is that Anduin doesn't, he still doesn't feel like he's ready. But the other thing that Anduin acknowledges is that he hasn't had any time like since legion began he hasn't had any time to mourn he hasn't had any time to grieve he hasn't had any time to do anything but handle the stuff not on the broken shore directly but from Stormwind, else, yeah. like everything else handle everything else that needs to be going on and filling that role of being a king even though maybe he's not really prepared for it yet and he kind of has these doubts about himself. So yeah, go ahead and talk about the cinematic now. Full, full rant. If you guys haven't seen the Anduin cinematic, come back <laughs> after you've done the quest. It's like a two-day quest. You do the first part. Or if part. you're a horde after you watch the, you know, the cinematic. Yeah, if you're a horde and you have an alliance alt at 110, go do this quest chain. You don't have to do everything else on the Broken Shore just to do the quest chain. It's just, it's it's a quest chain that popped up this week. It's a story quest. And... Yeah, if you don't have an alliance alt, 
maybe you should just go watch it on YouTube because it's a fantastic cinematic. Anyway, sorry, guys. Go. Go, go, go. Talk about it. He has to go first. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> so the the way the cinematic opens up is that you first you see Jen Greymane and the Prophet Velen, and they're talking. They're looking at the Tomb of Sargeras, and this field of just bones and weapons and everything else where this the fighting the meat of the fighting at the beginning of the expansion took place it's the place where his father died and i was just going to say that and it's it's important because then anduin comes up because this is the place where varian fell and it's this moment where jen is trying to scold anduin for like you shouldn't be here and he's like i need to be here and even the prophet velen says yes he needs to see this he needs to understand the weight of it and there's some very interesting choices with for me visually because the one the fell reaver is still there it's head cracked open right where varian had left it uh there are these ghosts of wisps on the 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 rock outcropping where the horde were and then you get these flashes where anduin seems to be almost reliving the death of his father and you see varian get run through and anduin falls to his knees feeling that pain and then Right at his feet, right in front of him where he falls is Charlemagne, his father's sword. That for the entire time that the sword has existed, it has not been cracked or dormant. There's been this fiery light inside of it, but here it's out. And this is where Anduin starts to come to grips with the fact of, yes, I need to be a king. And this is where I don't think I've ever seen Jen be this soft, which I think is also really important. Jen says... Yes, your dad was heroic, but there are more to heroics than just big, big deeds. It's a, you know, I was there with him at the gates of hell and he hands him his father's sword. And then Anduin has this moment where almost like it's suffused with the light and he sees his father one last time. And Varian almost looks peaceful and it looks like it's happening right at the gates of Stormwind. It's got the statues on either side of it right around right as that that entrance way in. And he tells him Varian goes to his son. You're going to do what a king must do. You're going to be fine. And this resolve comes into Anduin. And it's such a huge, powerful moment. It's a fantastic cinematic. And, and then right as it ends, you see Charlemagne wake up. But not with the fiery red power that Varian had with it. It's being suffused with the light that Anduin basically is. We've, we've known he's been able to channel. We know that he's a priest at this point that he can call to the light. Charlemagne is now becoming a weapon of light, not just anger. And that has all sorts of weird implications. Honestly, I love the cinematic. It it makes me feel like we haven't seen nearly enough of what Anduin is going to, to be able to do as king. And it's also interesting, and we talked about this a little bit pre-show, the timing of it is weird. Because the timing of this is before the comic we saw that was released before... Legion came out, Son of the Wolf. And it just seems so weird that they would do that comic first and then this now, but now we can start to see how he got to that point. He got to that point of resolve. Sort of the pieces are starting to fall into place where it's like he dispatched that demon with nothing. Like he he didn't even try. He it was it was almost effortless for him in the comic. And you can see where it's like here he's starting to understand. He's like, Yeah, I, I can do this. I can do this. And we start to see him just do it. So we pointed out that the sword he finds on the broken shore, the cinematic, that's only half the sword. It's half of it. Yeah. And the other and half son of the, the wolf, he's found they, they, they have the other half. He has both yeah. halves. Yeah. 
which I think is cool because now he can give them to a warrior. Or he can become a paladin. <laughs> no. Wait, can paladin do two-handed swords? Use, they can use a two-hander, but they can't use two one-handers. Okay, but if Half he... the sword would be wasted. It splits into two swords. He wouldn't be able to use that well, part. Well, with the one-handed sword, it's okay because he's a priest. It's a hand and a half sword. It's fine. And if he has both both of the one-handed swords, he could put them together again into a two-handed sword, but, and then he could be a paladin. Yeah. I do think, though, we should point out one thing. One of the interesting things about that scene, because Joe had mentioned that Gen kind of softens up, Gen is in a position where he lost his son. Yeah. And we deal with that to a degree here. He says, you know, during the whole Sylvanas thing, we're not going to get into it, but I think to a certain degree, one of the reasons Gen and Anduin work better is because, you know, Gen has lost his son. His son who was about the same age, really. Uh, Liam wasn't that much older than Anduin. He was uh, he was older, but I don't think he was like I mean, maybe at most a decade older. It's kind of hard to tell. Actually, nobody ever really says. And as a result, I mean, I don't think he's doing he's not trying to be Anduin's father. It's very it's very obvious he's not. But he is he does sympathize with the young man who is basically close enough to what his son would have been and going through what his son w- should have. Like, you know, in Gen's mind, he should be dead and Liam should be the king. Liam should be filling that role that Anwin is filling right now. Yeah, Liam should be king of Gilneas, and Gen should yeah. be dead. That if you t- if you said to Gen tomorrow, I can give you, I can bring Liam back as a completely alive normal person, but you have to die. Gen would jump on that. That would absolutely. Be like, and so as a result, it's interesting to watch their dynamic because when when Gen is dealing with Anduin, he's very gruff and very. Like, you know, you can't do that. Like, you know, he's like, you have to, you know, he's trying to think for, of what Varian would want, but at the same time, he's trying to think about what, what is necessary for the, you know, the alliance and for, you know, the the, the, the kingdom. Uh, if Anduin's going to be high king, he has to be high king. He can't, we can't, like, just let him, there's that whole bit with Velen. Like, there's there's an exchange between Velen and Gen about, you know, Velen's like, no, he'll be a great leader. And, and Gen's like, he's never... He's never actually seen any of this. He's never, you know, been in a war. He doesn't know. And even Velen says, yes, he's never seen the Legion the way we have. And to a degree, Velen's being nice there. Because Gen has never oh, yeah. really seen the Legion the way Velen has. Velen, you know, Velen's got thousands of years of experience with this stuff. Velen's like, come back to me when you've been chased across realities. Yeah. But no, Velen, Velen's kind enough to say he doesn't, because he knows Gen has seen war. Gen did fight the Horde. He's, you know, had the Forsaken crawl over all of his kingdom. He's, this is not a guy who has never been in a fight. Velen's kind uh, of in a delicate situation here, too, because he's had visions, and he's seen that Anduin is going to be a great ruler. He doesn't know how he's going to get there yet, but he's seen. He's he's had visions, and he's told Gen this. He's he's told Gen, look, I had visions of him being a great leader. He'll be okay. But at the same time, he doesn't want to like overstep his bounds because obviously this these are human matters and Gen is a human being and Gen understands more about human leadership than Velen ever could. Well too, um, plus there's also the fact that, you know, Velen's still only just now getting back to his full mojo. Yeah. One of the things that happened, this was actually in Chronicle 2 that I didn't know about. I'd never even thought about it, was that Velen was very badly injured in the Genadar crash. Yes, he was. And one of the results of that was that he lost a great deal of his ability to control and understand his visions. That's one of the reasons he didn't see where any of it was coming. He knew stuff was coming, but he couldn't. He, like, he'd, go, he'd try and go look, and he wouldn't get anything useful. Um, so 
that that's a problem for Velen as well. I, I do think it's interesting because Anduin has kind of done the opposite of what his father did. And that get, you know, Anduin has these adult figures to serve as, as like leader as like mentors, but he's king over them and can't really like, you know, when, when Anduin Lothar was around, he was definitely the regent and, and Vel and, you know, Varian wasn't king. And when Terranus, he had to leave Lordaeron and he became equals with Terranus in his lifetime, but he wasn't when he was a child, you know, and even when he was 18 and it, it's the transition period was different and Anduin still has them, whereas Varian had to watch them all die. Yeah. Like, you know, Anduin Lothar died. Terranus got murdered by his own son. Uh, so it's it's interesting. It, it is an interesting difference between two characters. Varian, I find interesting because, like I said, Varian has kind of lived his life, uh, you know, on on defensive, uh, on like on like a defensive path where he has to be because everything that's happened to him when he was a child, everything that's happened to him as he's been growing up. Even, you know, you look at when Terranus died, it wasn't just another father figure biting the dust as far as as far as Varian was concerned. It was also the friend that he grew up with turned evil. Arthas killed his own father and Arthas and Varian, they were friends when they were younger. So that it's like a double blow there. And then, you know, the final straw in that basket was Tiffin, Tiffin falling when Varian was just, you know, trying to do the right thing. He was out there trying to quell the riots. Tiffin took the side of the rioters, by the way. She was she was trying to advocate for them and, and help them come to some kind of fair agreement with everything. And the rioting just got out of control. And she died as a result of that, which was kind of sad. But at, at the same time, it's just it's interesting because Varian lived his life having to kind of steel himself against everything that was coming at him. And then his son, in order to keep his son from having to live that same life, he tried to shield his son from ever having any of that happen. So what Which I want to know... I'm what sorry, I, go ahead. No, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm leading up to a question here, and I'm going to turn it back over to you guys in just a second. What I want to know is Anduin, obviously Anduin's background, like I said, sheltered. Sheltered is a better word than, than isolated. He, he 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 admittedly lived a pretty sheltered childhood, except for the points where he could sneak away and go see Aunt Jaina or go to Pandaria or go wherever and get out from under Varian's thumb just for a little bit here and there. How do you think that background is going to affect how he reigns as king? Okay, I'm letting Joe go first. Joe. How is it going to affect it? I don't know because I mean, how do you see that background affecting him? Do you think he's going to be a more effective or less effective leader than Varian? I honestly think he'll be, and I'm sure I'm going to get some hate for this. I think he's going to be more effective. Um, And the reason I say that is because he's, he's far more grounded, I think than Varian started with. And he doesn't have that same pit of rage that Varian had to contend with. But everything that he's been through has sort of lended him a a unique view on the relationships, not only of his allies, but of the enemies as well. And I think he's going to be a far more effective leader, and I think he's going to make more effective choices. Honestly, for me, one of the things I always look at is the fact that Varian, like you pointed out earlier, Varian had that 10 years of practically idyllic childhood, of being the prince of a prosperous and powerful kingdom with literally no problems that he could see. Um, you know, he had his, 
his mother and his father both. Um, he had you know the run of the kingdom for at least a little while. I, I think he was alive. He had when Uncle his Lothar. Was yeah, he had <laughs> un- Uncle Lothar, possibly in quotes, possibly not. Um, he, he, that all ended, but he's that's how he started. Anduin grew up with a dead mother and an absent father. Um, as a result, Varian discovered loss in a way that Anduin never did because Anduin had grew up with loss as the default condition. You know, you already don't have your mother. You already only kind of have your father. Um, you're already aware and oppressed by the, the demand on you that will be put on you someday. Someday the thing that you watch you killing your father slowly will be put on you. And that's what he, he's grown up his entire life watching the crown kill his father. It's kind of interesting, too, because yeah. the whole uh, the short story that you were talking about, the Cataclysm one, was about Remembrance yeah. Day. And one of the things that Varian is remembering is how he comes from a long line of kings who have lost their lives violently. Yeah. And that is, in fact, exactly what happened to him. Uh, and that's the, 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 the Rin dynasty. It, it's almost to a degree, it's kind of tragic because not just because of the obvious reasons it's tragic because none of them ever really wanted it like they they weren't aggressive rulers the 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 stormwind certainly waged war against the trolls in the past but they weren't conquerors they weren't warriors by nature they were warriors by necessity and anduin to a degree anduin's going into the situation he's gonna have to fight it's not his inclination he is, if anything, much more a classical Rin leader. He's much more like Lane than it's than than he is like Varian in terms of just like how he lives. And to a degree, Lane had a similar experience in that although his father and mother were alive when he was a young child, Lane grew up with the trolls encroaching and at least kind of had that understanding of this is what the weight of this will be. Whereas there's no way Varian could have seen after all the fighting my father did to establish a secure and stable kingdom, monsters from another universe are going to come ruin it all. There's no way it like, you know, eight year old Varian had, did not see that coming. So Andy, when I feel like he, he won't, he'll bend more than he'll break because he's seen it. He knows this has been his entire life. You know, people are, people are dead or missing. Uh, we're constantly under attack. We are constantly trying to create a stable situation and it constantly gets worse. He's got Jane as example. I mean, think about when, he, you know, when he was like a kid, when the Regency, like, you know, when, when he was effectively a pawn, Jaina was a state, was the only stable alliance figure arguing for anything like rapprochement with the Horde. And now she's gone. And the last time he saw her, she was like, I will never work for them. Never. You know, and he's had to see that happen. He's seen the weight of, of responsibility and what it does to people. So I think he'll be a good leader, but I think he'll be the, like... This is a guy who's who's putting his he literally knows I am putting my head on a chopping block. Okay, here's my question. I, here's another question for you. It could be argued that the downfall of Lane Rin was the fact that he was too trusting to a degree because he trusted Garona and then she turned on him. Now, mind you, she wasn't under her own volition in doing so, but she did. Do you think Andwin maybe suffers that same kind of thing. Do you think he's going to be too trusting or do you think? Here's why I don't think he will be. Okay. And I think, I think, you know, I'm interested in what Joe will think of it, but when you see son of the wolf, he, he's got no warning. He has no, there's nothing that tells him by the way, that guy's a demon. But the second that guy goes for him, he's ready. Mm-hmm. And he even says, you know, I am my father's son. And there's, let's not, and let's not forget though. Like, and we talked about this way earlier in the conversation. 
Varian imprinted on him as much as he imprinted on Varian. And there's been several times throughout the comics and, and stories and everything else where we've seen that influence. Like when the Scourge were attacking Stormwind uh, and Varian and Bolvar, and Bolvar went to go defend the city, uh, Varian wanted to sort of sequester Anduin away, and he turns his back to sort of like get Anduin, and a Scourge soldier goes to attack him, and who's the one that sticks a dagger through the attacker? It's not a soldier, it's Anduin. He's he's prepared, he's he's there, he's seen everything. He's on so, the defense as much as his father was, but kind of in a different way. A completely different way. Like I think he's I think he's also easier he's better at reading the environment than his father was. While his father was always I hate to say posturing, but like always always ready for the fight. Anduin looks at everybody in the room and sees the person that maybe isn't moving right or looking right or doesn't fit with the scene. He's a lot more calmer approach to it, which lets him be prepared for those moments like, oh, yes, this is a, 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 a demon that is hiding as a human. Well, I got this. It's covered. I got I've seen this before. We're good to, to like, harken back to like vanilla days, because I know this is a quest that you and I both did and that Joe might have done it, too. When you go into the throne room with Windsor. Anduin is there. Yep. yep. Anduin this is, this sees is, that. You know, yep. just just to like side note here, this is not Anduin Friend's first stint as king because he was a king when he was ten years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was the he was the boy king, kind of in Bolvar name only, charge, but he, he kinda, was. But... Yeah, he was. He was in. He had Bolvar on one side and he had Prester on the other. But he, he was when you walked in there. It was King Anduin Wren, and he was this little kid. So this is kind of his second run at it. But he doesn't have those advisors in either ear anymore. It's him on his own. So yeah, sorry, yeah. Rossi. Go ahead and continue. No, my point is just that he. This is not. A, this is not someone who is. He was never an unobservant child. That's that's clear from every every fiction source we've got for him. Every bit of lore. Anduin was always watching and and learning. And he saw Windsor walk in. He saw Prester turn into a dragon. He knew, you know, what she was. Um, if if you wanted to use the the story version where it's Anduin who co- it's it's Varian who comes in with Rinzer, it's still you know he saw her change. He was taken by her. He knows you can't you know even the people closest to you could be suborned or a traitor. And wait, He's if got you want to go lesson. back, if you want to go back to the comics too, Anduin was the one that first sensed that something was wrong. Yeah, and when his father came back and wasn't quite himself, Varian knew it was his father. He never had any doubt. This is my dad. Anduin, Anduin did, you mean? Dad. Yes, I know I did it a lot. Anduin knew it was his father, but he knew his father wasn't right. And he was the only one, when there were two Varian written standing there, was the only one who's like, yeah, okay, now it makes sense. There's <laughs> oh, two of them. it all makes sense now. Yeah. Everyone else yeah, was he, like, what? He possesses such a, a high level of insight, like, as a he character. He was a precocious kid. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that, and maybe that was the light chirping in his ear, and he didn't know it. We never. I mean, that could also be a thing as well, because the light does speak to people. So Varian yeah. had some major role models when he was younger and growing up. Obviously, Anduin Lothar, Terranus Menethil, even his father Lane, mm-hmm. Lane was, you know, a big influence on him and everything. And all of these people kind of shaped how Varian would lead in the future. Who would you say Anduin's biggest influences are, and how do you think that would shape how he leads in the future? Because he's got some interesting people that he's worked oh. with in the past. I'm gonna just I'm gonna use one that I think is pretty obvious. Um, obviously, Velen. Yes. Um, because you know he went to Velen and Velen taught him, and of all people, Anduin was the one who reminded Velen, 
yes, you have a duty to the future and you have a duty to the light and a duty to the broad scheme of things, but you also have a duty to right now. You can't you forget can't, the present yeah, while you're... You have, to, you have to be in the moment and deal with what's happening right now with your people. And Velen needed to be taught that by Anduin. Anduin gave that to Velen. Or reminded so of that anyway, yeah. at the very well, least. I, I, I think, yeah, obviously he, he knew it, but it's... one. The problem with Velen has is that the problem Velen's always had. Velen has lived long even for one of his people. He is super old. Yeah, he, <laughs> he is, is so old. Relatively few Draenei who have lived as long as him. And in all that time, he has basically been besieged by by his destiny and his duty to the except, you know, to the point where he had to give up his family, where he lost them and he had to just accept it, that they were gone. Uh, so, yeah, you need someone like Anduin to come along and say, yeah, that's all great. But so I think Velen's definitely won. What do you think, Joe? Another Bane. major influence. Bane. Thank you. I was hoping somebody would say it. And, and the reason I say that is because it was one of the most interesting conversations that you can have between two essentially warring factions. You have Bane Bloodhoof, who was in a very similar situation to Anduin. And this is they all were, in the middle of Cataclysm, keep in mind. All in the middle of Cataclysm. And, and they talk about be, what it is to be uh, the sons of great leaders and the differences between right and wrong. And, I mean, Anduin even gives Fearbreaker to Bane. Like, this was gifted to him, and he gifted it to Bane Bloodhoof. And keep but in mind that Bane had just lost his father. Thunderbluff was being was, overrun. Yep, and I was just going to say, and if of all of the all of the characters, all of the, the NPCs that exist in this world, the only one who understands what Anduin is going through right now, even remotely close, is Bane, because he's already lived this. He had to bury his father. He had to take back what was taken from his people he had to find his own way he had to find a place inside of a horde that you know or part of a greater whole that he did not agree with and you know it he understands and i think that that that's going to have a large impact i really want to see those two touch base again i want to very much so yes thank you what's weird about that too is that bane um if you've if you played a torn recently from like level say one to say 12 and especially if you have a bunch of non-Torin who are also trying to do stuff with you, <laughs> but who can't. Uh, like on the leveling quite... stream. Yeah, that didn't yeah. go over very well. When we did that, um, my character got to see, like, Bane Bane has taken a very different tack from Karen. Karen was very much, you know, they called him the old bull. You know, he was he was a warrior. He was certainly strong. Um, he, if anything, he was one of the most physically powerful Torin ever. And in a pure physical fight, he probably would rip, you know, he would have ripped Garrosh in half. Like, he was relentlessly powerful. But Bane, when he fights, is far more terrifying than his father. Like, in that in that bit, when you're level 12 and you go through and Bane's like, okay, go take care of these Grim Totems for me. When you go there, Bane shows up and, like, half the oh, yeah. Grim Totem tribe shows up to fight him. And by himself, because you're not doing a lot, I'm sorry, I was there. I was barely occasionally casting a spell. Bane takes out the entire Grim Totem tribe that's there. Arno and all of them. He just by himself smashes them. It's like Bolvar it's, part two. It's, Bolvar in the throne room part two. I think to a degree, one of the things we need to see that we haven't seen in game yet, and we do need to see it, is Anduin doing something. Because we I have not coming. yet seen it. I, and the closest we've got is back in Pandaria when he ran up and 
he proved he was brave. I mean, there's no you cannot argue that and he maybe wasn't, a little stupid, but brave. <laughs> he ran up and he destroyed the divine bell and got crushed for his trouble. And then he went and basically went to, he went face to face with Garage Hell Scream, which is not something most human 16 year olds. If he's 17 now, he wasn't. You know what I mean? He's the kid was like 16. He was 15, 16, somewhere in there. Yeah. He went toe to toe with a dude who was like one of the largest, scariest orcs you're going to run into and didn't back away from it. So. We've always known he was brave. I mean, sometimes brave to the point of, could you not run ahead of me? I mean, I I am the one here to keep you safe. Please don't. Oh, God. But nevertheless, brave. So it would be I want to see Anduin actually do something. I think Bane could be a good person to have show him that, that, you know, you, you can act outside of the shadow of a great figure. Okay, one more little tangent here before we wrap up because we are actually reaching the... We could talk about Anduin, like, forever, I feel like. Anyway, uh, so you talk about how Anduin was brave and everything in Mists of Pandaria, and we talked a little bit about how maybe we're dealing with Uncle Lothar here, maybe not, we don't know. Because the thing is, is canonically, in the second Chronicle book, Taria's mentioned, but it's not mentioned whether or not she's Lothar's sister. So we don't know if that's an established bit of lore. However, in Mists of Pandaria... When, as an Alliance player, you first reach Pandaria and you're trying to figure out where Andwin went and you go, you meet Lorewalker Cho for the first time. Lorewalker Cho refers to Andwin as the boy prince, the young lion. Do you guys think maybe that's a subtle indication, like inference maybe, that yeah, he is part of that whole Lothar bloodline? Well, I mean, the the lions, that's a pretty big Stormwind symbol, so it it could just be... That's the well. Green I mean, Lothar was known as the Lion of Stormwind, though, right? Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I want this to be the truth. <laughs> I want it to be true too. I so want so, it. So it's <laughs> That's like, why I brought it up. <laughs> I just see Rossi Foreman. I want this. I would, you know, if if we made that the case, that would I would certainly not be unhappy about it. Um, we, I don't feel like I can say with any kind of certainty that they were hinting at it, but I can say this much. Varian named him after Anduin Lothar for a reason, and not just just not just out of gratitude. Not you know? just because There's, oh, you're my father. You were my father after I lost my father, or anything like that. I, I think to a certain degree, it would make sense if they were related. If if Anduin Lothar was Taria's brother, and that made because it would make sense. All the stuff Lothar goes through for Lane and his family, it would be for his family. You know. Lane's children are his are his nieces and nephews. If he had, you know, I, there was a daughter in the movie. I don't think I don't think there is one in the main canon. But you know, his son would be his nephew. His family line, the continuation of the Rin line, is the continuation of the Lothar line, which means it's the continuation of humanity's first ruling dynasty, and it means that Anduin has every right to be high king of the Alliance because every single human nation theoretically would actually owe him fealty. Because he, you know, his house founded them all. Here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that because we've seen like little implications and hints here and there. And obviously it was very obvious in the movie, but movie canon is not game canon. What I'm hoping is we get to Argus. We find Turalyon. Turalyon confirms it. Like just flat out confirms it. Like he meets Andwin and says, "It's, it's good to see that the Lothar line has continued or something. Like he just, he mentions it. Like, just give us something. (laughs) It would be nice. 
Anyway, okay, so that's going to wrap us up for this time around. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And if you guys are fans of the podcast and you'd like to continue supporting the podcast, you can sign up with Audible. Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can do that through blizzardwatch.com slash audible. There are plenty of the Blizzard books, the Blizzard novels, including Wolfheart, is actually available on Audible. You can use that as your thir- part of your free book in your 30-day trial. Uh, blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Final thoughts. Do you guys think Anduin will be a good king? Joe? I do. I honestly do. Not just for the King of Stormwind, but I think he'll be a good high king. Rossi? I'm warming up to it. The the, the Anduin who, who was around for a while, I wasn't as thrilled with, but I like how he's adjusted. I liked the uh, bits we've seen in the cinematic. I like that he went and he went to to the to Renfall. You know, it, it's a it's a step outside. You you mentioned that he's sh- he's been sheltered his whole life. It's him saying you can't shelter me anymore. If I'm going to be king, I have to you know I have to endure this. This is you know that the whole point the. Being a king is not about me. It's about serving the nation. And he he takes a step to do that. So, And I liked the bit with his father and the, you know, you know what do I do? What a king must do. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice moment. You, you actually get to feel that it's been handed off, you know? I was so, yeah, kind I of a blubbering a mess through that whole quest chain and cinematic. Um, I had issues with Gen. I thought Gen was being a jerk. But it was kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. And that knee-jerk reaction is because it's extraordinary what we've seen with Anduin. Because when we all started playing the game back in vanilla, as we mentioned, 10-year-old Boy King, we didn't know what he would become. And we've actually grown up with him, which I really appreciate. And do I think he's going to be a good king? Probably, yeah. I can't see him not being a good... I think he's prepared. I think he's prepared, more prepared than he realizes. And I think that he's got enough people on his side that I don't know if he'll be better than Varian. I think he'll be different than Varian. And I think that's probably what the Alliance needs at this point. So, yeah. Thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back in two weeks when we will be talking about The Dark Mirror, that beautiful short story that came out with Nathanos, Blightcaller, and Sylvanas. So if you have any questions or anything regarding that short story or Sylvanas or Nathanos, feel free to shoot those at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put Lorewatch in the subject line so we know that it's intended for this show and not the regular podcast. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will see you in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.